house this morning. It's um, exciting to get into God's Word today and looking forward to the message and I uh, hope you are too. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be turning this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 is where we'll start. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. Let's begin reading verse 17. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men to do so, uh, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let us bow this morning. God, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the report that we've heard and for uh, just the testimony of all the, uh, the scriptures that have been passed out throughout the world. And, and uh, Lord, for these that we've heard that have trusted Christ as Savior as a result of that. God, we're thankful for the time that we set aside to get into your word this morning. And I pray that you would guide and direct in everything that we do. Uh, please guide the words that I say. Lord, help me to speak truth. I pray that you give me boldness and speech. And we pray for each heart and each life that's here today. God, I know that there's something you want us to hear from these scriptures today. You've got something for each person here. I pray that you'd help us to be attentive, to listen, and to apply your truths to our lives. Thank you so much, God, for all that you've done for us. We thank you especially for Jesus, for his blood, for the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross, for the salvation that's free through him. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this morning's message is, Not One Iota. Not One Iota. And I'll explain that here a little bit more in just a second. This morning, actually, before we get started, I want everybody to do something. If you are one that writes in your Bibles, raise your hand. Okay, so if you write in your Bibles, I'm going to tell you something to write here in just a second. If you do not write in your Bibles, but you have a pen and a piece of paper, I'm going to encourage you to write this down. Uh, this is going to help us to understand a little bit more about what we're looking at today and then also what we'll be looking at in the next couple of weeks. I want you, in your Bibles, uh, beside verse number 17, in, in your own way, I want you to mark verses 17 through 20 as an introduction to six teachings, okay? Verses 17 through 20, in some way, in your own way, mark those verses as an introduction to six teachings. I'll give you a moment to do that. And then there, I have just a few more instructions, and we'll get into the rest of the message this morning. Intro... Introduction to six teachings there by verses 17 through 20. Then I want you to move down. You can do this very quickly. Move down to verse 21. And beside verse 21, write the number one. Skip down to verse 27. Write number two. Skip down to verse 31 and write a number three. And go down to verse 33 and write a number four. Down to verse 38, write number 5. And then down beside verse 43, write number 6. In case you were not 
aware of how those numbers fell in order. I gave those to you in sequence. That was a joke, by the way. I know you know how they come in order. All right, today we're going to look, though, at verses 17 through 20. Uh, we're going to look at it in two ways. First of all, we're going to look at it and how it stands for itself and, and what, it's, what it means just in its own context. But we're also, at the same time, uh, we're also going to be making some mentions of how these verses, verses 17 through 20, serve as an introduction to what Jesus is about to say. In other words, as we go through the rest of these, these six teachings that Jesus is going to give in chapter 5 uh, through the rest of this chapter, before we get into that, we have to understand exactly what he means when he says, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And, and when he told us that, uh, you know, until all the law is fulfilled, that not one jot or one tittle is going to pass from the law, and how that we are not to, uh, to teach other people to, to slack in the keeping of, uh, of those things as well. And what we're, what we're getting into, we're, we're not enforcing the law, we're enforcing truth. And Jesus is going to be reinforcing some things. He, he's brought out the fact that he is going to fulfill the law and that none of it's going to pass away until he fulfills it. But then he moves on to some truths that even though Christ fulfilled the law with the sacrifice of himself, with the raising again of himself from the dead, even though he completely fulfilled the law and the prophets, that the truths that we find throughout the rest of this chapter, these truths are eternal ones. These truths are, are things that are right regardless of what era you live in or what, what side of, the, of the, the New or Old Testament that you're on. These truths are uh, still pertinent for us today because they're not just truths on uh, uh, rules of behavior, but they are truths of, of what it means to be a child of God and to be a godly man or a godly woman. And so we are going to be moving through those things over the next several weeks, but today we're going to look at verses 17 through 20, and, uh, and we're going to see how they uh, apply to our lives today. Now, as we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been looking at is righteousness. And I'm going to move this down because I feel like I'm really loud this morning. Do y'all feel like I'm really loud this morning? Yeah, I thought, I thought so. All right, well, I guess it's okay. But uh, what we are going to, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the last several weeks, and, uh, and what we've been noticing in the Sermon on the Mount is that this is a, this is a sermon on righteousness, on what it means to be truly righteous. And that should be the goal of each person here today. We should want to be righteous people. Do you agree with that? We should want to be holy people. We should want to be uh, godly people. And so he is giving the, the people of his kingdom that he is welcoming it, it, through faith in him and through, uh, you, you know, through him to, uh, that come into this kingdom. He is offering them uh, some insight on what it means to be truly righteous people. And so we're going to look at three things about righteousness today from these verses. The first thing that we're going to look at is righteousness exemplified in verse 17. Righteousness exemplified. It means we have an example of righteousness. We have, we have someone that we can look to and say, that's what a righteous person looks like. That's what righteousness is. And so if I begin to model my heart and my actions and, and all those things towards him, then, then I'm going or I'm moving in the right direction. In verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now last week we looked at how uh, Jesus did fulfill all the law and the prophets, all the prophecies that moved towards our redemption or the salvation 
uh, of mankind. He did fulfill all of those things. But there is even more to what Jesus means when he says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus' words in these verses prove that it was never his intention to do away with the Old Testament Scriptures, but that every single one of them would be truly fulfilled and truly obeyed both in himself and in those who follow him. And we find this exemplified in Jesus Christ, in the life that he lived. Now we saw last week again where he fulfilled the sacrifices and the services through his death and resurrection. But what I want us to look at today is that Jesus not only fulfilled the sacrificial things, the ceremonial things of the law, but that he fulfilled the very moral and civil aspects of the law as well in the way that he lived and in the way that he treated others. Now when we go back to the law, and I know that, uh, again, last week we talked about how boring talking about the law can be. I know nobody likes to sit around and talk about laws or, or the law. But when we think about the law, the Old Testament scriptures, really we can look at the law in, in a couple of different ways. First of all, there were the ceremonial things of the law, such as the sacrifice and the services that they had at the temple and all those other stuff. Jesus took care of that at the cross, okay? They all pointed towards him. He took care of everything there at the cross. But there are some other aspects of the law as well. You see, the law has some moral things built into it, some things that are right and some things that are wrong as well. And those things continue to be right and wrong today. For instance, murder is still wrong. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Stealing is still wrong. Lying is still wrong. All those things are still wrong. And, uh, and there are some things that are still right as well. Loving others and treating others well is, uh, is still acceptable, is still right. It didn't change even after Jesus fulfilled the law. Those things still stand today. Now, what we, what we must keep in mind as we talk about the law in the Old Testament is that the law was not just a religious system for them, but the law, the, those things that we're calling the law in the Old Testament were actually their civil laws as well. You know why it's wrong to murder somebody? Because it's not a nice thing to do, is it? People don't get along very well when they're killing each other, do they? They're civil laws. It's the way that we treat other people. And so in their law, of course, there's religious tones to it where we, we need to be loving God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and all our souls. But then there are some civil aspects as well. And so these laws did not just stand... It's wrong to kill people in Florida. It's wrong to... To, you know, it's wrong to steal in Florida. Why? Because that's something that we're doing against other people. It's civil laws. And if you broke those civil laws, there were penalties, just like you would find here in the state of Florida or here in the, the nation of America or any other nation that has laws as well. And so these laws served as civil laws as, uh, as, as well, as I said. Now, Jesus, when he came to earth, the point that I'm getting at here is that he not only fulfilled the law through his sacrifice, but he completely, perfectly obeyed every aspect of the law. When you looked at Jesus, there was nothing that you could point a finger at and say, you know what, he's breaking the Old Testament law. He, he, he fulfilled it in his attitude, he fulfilled it in his love, and, and in everything that he did, he kept the law of God, both as uh, what it meant to them as a nation and what it meant to, to them as the people of God. He completely fulfilled all of that, every aspect of the law. I hope I said that clearly because it is an important truth. Now, I am always impressed by sketch artists on television. Anybody watch any of those uh, crime shows or, 
you know, investigations and stuff like that. I shouldn't be promoting TV up here, but I, I'm just saying, uh, if you've ever watched any of those crime shows, uh, what they'll do is some, a witness will have seen a uh, perpetrator, and so, uh, you know, a guy will come in and they'll say, well, describe the, the man to us. And so they'll say, well, he, he, uh, he had a long nose, and, you know, he had a scar right here. And, man, by the time they get through explaining all the stuff about this person, you know, this, this artist has miraculously drawn an accurate picture. Is this the guy you're looking for? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, it looks just like him. And uh, I don't know if people can really do that. That is impressive if they can. But it has always, uh, it has always struck me as, as interesting that just by the description of someone, if someone is actually that talented, I mean, that is, that's just amazing how they could, uh, just on their looks or, or descriptions of, of, uh, of their features, things like that, they can actually draw an accurate picture of that person. Well, I want us to, to think about that today. If we were on a hunt for a man who is a true law keeper, as it pertains to the Old Testament law, if we were on a hunt for a man who, who was accurately, completely carrying out and following the law, one who obeyed it perfectly, one who lived it daily, we could flip through the law. And as we flip through the Old Testament, we would find all kinds of characteristics and say, well, a person who is a, a true law keeper, a true law fulfiller, he's going to do this. All right, and we could flip down a little bit more. We could say, and he's going to do this. And we could just keep writing a list, just on and on and on, write a list of, of what a true law keeper would do. And as, after we finish that list, if somebody was really good, a really good sketch artist, they should be able to look at that list, look at everything that a true law keeper would give, and they should be able to present us a portrait of Jesus Christ. I think that's, exact, that, that's my view on what Jesus was saying here when he said, I came not to destroy the law. I didn't come to slacken the law in any way, but to completely fulfill it so that the whole law will be fulfilled in me. So that if you were to look at, at a, a completely at what a perfect person would be or a perfect man or a true righteous individual would be, that you would see that person in me. I want you to know that Jesus was that person. He was that kind of man. The law was fulfilled in him. You see, as a man, for Jesus as a man to be able to completely keep the law, that made him the example, not an example, the example of what the law expected. And I want you to know this, as a rabbi, that made Jesus the authority on what the law means. So that if you looked at Jesus' life, you could see that's what it looks like to keep the law. And if you were to listen to Jesus' teachings, you would be able to say, that's what it means to keep the law. This is what, he, he has a proper interpretation of what the Bible says. Now the reason I make this point is that the people of Israel had all kinds of people telling them what the Bible means. And in fact, many of them were encouraged not I guess, to interpret the law for themselves, that they were to go to certain people, and those people would tell them, this is what the Bible means. This is what uh, you are to believe. This is what you are to do. The Bible scholars of Jesus' days had developed their own interpretation of what the law meant and how to obey it so that you didn't, you didn't make any of those decisions on your own on what was right or what was wrong. If you needed to know, you went to them and you said, 
You said, teach me or interpret to me what the law means, what I am supposed to do. And so then they would go on to interpret. Or if you were following a rabbi, of course, he would be teaching you those interpretations every day. Now, usually their interpretations created burdens for others and created loopholes for themselves, right? I mean, if you're, if you're the man with the ability, you have followers and they're looking to you for advice and, and you've got the authority uh, to, to say, well, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. What, what are many people going to do? What they're going to do is, is they're going to throw a whole bunch of stuff on you, okay? All right, if you're going to keep the law, then you have to do all this. But then they're going to find different ways to get around the law for themselves. And that's exactly what was going on with them. By the way, things haven't changed a whole lot, have they? Now listen, as we go into this, uh, these six things that we'll be looking at in, in the weeks to come, uh, Jesus is going to be challenging some things that the law said or some things that they had heard but I want you to know that as we dive into these things, so we move along through the rest of this chapter, that Jesus did not have any problems with the law. Okay? Jesus did not have any problems with the law because he was the one who gave it. <laughs> you know, he was the perfect law keeper because really he was the law giver. <laughs> I mean, he, if anybody knew what it would take to keep the law, Jesus did because he was the law giver. His problem was not with what the law said. His problem was with the wrong interpretations of the law. By the way, churches have become wonderful at making their own interpretations for what the Bible says and then expecting others to follow uh, those interpretations of what, uh, what the Scripture means. You see, because Jesus fulfilled the law, He had the right above any other person. He had the right alone to interpret what it means. If you'll look with me, I just want us to skim down through some of those verses I told you about. Go down to verse 21. Let's look at what it says. He says, you have heard it was said. You've heard the interpretations. He didn't say it was written in the law. He says, you've heard that it was said, in verse 21, by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and so on and so forth. But in verse 22, he says, but I say unto you, You've heard it from others, but I say this. If you'll skip on down to verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Verse 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Uh, according to those of old times, you, you can look, but don't touch. Jesus says, No, 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 no. See, they've created some loopholes there, but I'm saying to you that God looks at the heart. Down in verse 31, he says, It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let her give her a writing of divorcement. But I say to you, Whosoever will put his way of life, away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, commit, causeth her to commit adultery. And he goes on with that teaching. We can skip on down to verse 33 where he says, uh, Again, you have heard that it has been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform the Lord thine oath. Verse 34, But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, 
nor by the earth for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And he continues on with that teaching. Down in verse 38, he says, You've heard that it's been said. Another interpretation, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If they get you, you get them. But Jesus said, I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever smites you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. He says down in verse 43, he says, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. 44, I say unto you, love your enemies. See, Jesus didn't have a problem with what the law said, but Jesus had a big problem with what they were interpreting it to be. They had made something completely different out of the law than what it was ever intended to be by God. The fact that Jesus went on to interpret the true meaning of the law tells us that he still expects us to follow those things as well. Now, here's where some people are going to start scratching their heads. They're going to say, are you saying then that we're still under the law? No. And Paul would scream, no, we are not under the law. We have been delivered. Christ died for our sins. Christ paid the penalty. He, he, he did all those things. But the moral things are still correct. And the moral things should still be followed. It's not that we're listing some rules that we must keep. It's saying that if we are truly followers of God, then from the heart we're going to begin doing these things. We're going to take different looks at what it means uh, to follow or, or keep the, uh, the commands of God. That leads us to the next thing, righteousness expected in verses 18, 18 through 19. He says in verse 18, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Wheresoever, uh, there, or whosoever, excuse me, therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach, uh, and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now before we get into this section, there are two things that we must understand. We must understand, first of all, that he said these things before his death and resurrection. Okay, and so we have to look at these verses and, and through that light, through, through those eyes that they were, they were hearing this before he had gone on to the cross. But the second thing we must understand about this is that though the law does not condemn us if we've trusted Christ, and Romans 8 and verse 1 says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. They're, the law cannot condemn us anymore if we know Christ. But even still, we are expected to uphold its standard and moral righteousness. What I'm saying to you is this, is that God does not expect any less of you under grace than what He ever expected of them under the law. That we can't look at the law and say, well, Christ redeemed me of that, and so I don't have to do all these things anymore. I don't have to, to live to a standard of righteousness anymore because He has forgiven me. And if I mess up, I'll just go ask for forgiveness. Now, is God forgiving? Absolutely. And if, if we confess our sins, is He faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? Yes. That's not an excuse to live in sin. God expects excellence. He expects 
righteousness out of His people. He expects more than what we give Him through our lip service. Jesus says that until the law was fulfilled, not one part of it will be changed or erased. Verse 18 is always, I guess for a long time, it was uh, quite confusing as to what he was saying. He says, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall no wise pass in the law till all be fulfilled. And, and my problem was, what is a jot? And what's a tittle? And how could they pass from the law? You know? But as, I, as you look at this a little bit more, uh, the jot that he's talking about there is really, it's a transliteration. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, yod. Or if you were to take that over to Greek, the smallest letter is iota. That's why the title says not one iota. Not even the smallest letter. Until everything is fulfilled, until I complete and fulfill the law, not one iota, not even the not one yod, not, not even the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet or the smallest letter of any word is going to in any wise, in any way, is going to be taken away from the law. It's not going to be lifted off of you in expectation. He says not only the smallest letter, but he says not even the smallest pen stroke. And if you've ever looked at Hebrew, I know that we probably don't have a lot of people that just sit around reading Hebrew Bibles, but if you've ever seen Hebrew, it is a very beautiful-looking language, and the letters have, have, they can be defined by, you know, the, the big strokes, but then there's these little defining or, or little detailed strokes that are involved in the language as well. He says not the smallest letter, not even the smallest pen stroke is going to be lifted off of you as far as expectation is concerned. Not, not even a little bit is going to be passed away or it's going to be taken away until everything is fulfilled. Jesus gave a strong warning to his followers in verse 19. He says, Whosoever will break one of the least commandments, even what may seem to be the smallest one, if one will break that and teach others to do that, he will be the least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, But whosoever will do those things and teach them will be called great in the kingdom. Jesus, as we think about why he might have said this, Jesus was so radically different in comparison to the other religious leaders that people were undoubtedly questioning his loyalty to the law. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes were the experts on what the law said. They were the interpreters of the day. And then Jesus would come to and he'd say, no, 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 don't listen to their lies. Don't listen to their leavening. Don't, don't listen to, uh, to the false teachings of the, of the scribes and Pharisees. And he would come through and he'd say, this is what it's talking about. And, and undoubtedly, people may have wondered, does Christ still follow the law? Does, does he still expect the law to be kept? And he said, yes, in fact, nothing's going to be lifted off. And if you teach anybody to turn away from what the law says, you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then you will not drop one commandment from the law, nor will you teach others to do so. And the one who does will be the least in my kingdom. Jesus' radical teachings were not so then because he went against the law, but because his teachings were so true to them, to what they really meant and to what they really 
expected. We're going to find that Jesus' discussion on the commandments of verses 21 through 48, then do not slacken the expectations of the law, but they increase them. All right, let's look at one last thing. I can tell y'all are getting ready for lunch, aren't you? I can see it on your faces. We're getting ready. But let's look at one last thing. Righteousness exceeded. I looked at my clock. You don't look at yours, okay? Let's look at the Word, all right? I'm just making sure. We're just checking here. I'm, I'm seeing where I am. Verse 20, let's go ahead and look at that. It says, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to close out here with this verse here, but I want you to just let me have your attention for a few more moments. Up to this point, I can imagine the crowd saying amen to everything that Jesus was saying. I mean, he says, I'm going to fulfill the whole law, and nothing's going to pass away until the whole law is fulfilled. He says, and you're not going to teach people to stop keeping the law, but if you're going to be great in my kingdom, you will do and teach others to do so as well. And I could just see them, like in church, you know, they're nodding, amen. You know, yes, yes, I agree, I agree. That's great uh, with what Jesus was saying. But then he says in verse 20, and maybe even the scribes and Pharisees were with him to this point, but in verse 20 he says this, he says, For I say to you that except your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless it goes beyond, unless it is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not in any way enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, who were the scribes and Pharisees? Very quickly, the scribes were men who meticulously copied the law. It was their job to sit all day with a text and a blank sheet of paper. They didn't use paper, but you know what I'm saying. And they would take a pen and they would write out the law. They would copy out meticulously. And I was listening to, uh, to one, one person talking about this. They said that they would lay out the scroll and several of them would, uh, would do their copies and they lay out the original and they would count in from one side. They would count in to the middle and count from the other side because they used scrolls back then. And so they count in to the middle word. He said a scribe could tell you what the middle word in any book was. And so they would count in to the very middle and they would all take their parchments and do that, their copies that they had, had written out, and if the, if the word didn't match, if the word in the very center didn't match what the other said, they had to take the whole thing, throw it away, and start all over again. And so they had copied and copied and read and read the law so many times that they actually became experts in what the law said. I'm sure memorized uh, large, large portions of what the Old Testament said. And so they were, in one way, they were experts on the law. Now the Pharisees were ones that Jesus, uh, he, he combats quite a bit uh, throughout the Gospels. The Pharisees were just a staunch religious group uh, whose name itself claimed superiority. Pharisee means a separatist. They, they had separated themselves from everybody else. We are the elite. We are the righteous ones. And so Jesus said to them, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to understand that these scribes and Pharisees were the people that others looked up to. By their standards, if anyone was to reach the kingdom of heaven, surely it would be the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, they knew more about what God's Word said than anybody else did. They were experts in all the ways you keep the law. But Jesus says, no, no, no. If you're to enter the kingdom, your righteousness has to go beyond 
theirs. Now listen to what I say. To the crowd that Jesus was addressing, this would have seemed impossible. How could we ever reach that level of righteousness? The scribes and Pharisees were super religious. They, they even tied their spices. That means when they bought salt or cumin or any of those things, they would section it out into tents and they would give one tenth to the temple. I mean, they were super religious, super Christians, uh, I guess you could say, well, they didn't like Christ, so they wouldn't be Christians, but they were definitely super uh, religious, super Jews. They tied their spices, they fasted weekly, and they were, in fact, the ones who told people the right things to do. So how could they ever outdo the Pharisees in righteousness? Well, see, here lies one of the radical aspects of Jesus' teachings. You see, the point that Jesus was getting at is that is that God is not as interested in what they were doing as He was in what they were. And I can say that to us as well. God is not as interested in what we do as He is in what we are. When He said, except your righteousness exceeds there, He wasn't talking about unless you do more than they do. But he's saying, unless you are something that they're not. You see, God is more concerned with our motives than He is our actions. He's more concerned with what we are being than what we are doing. Does this suggest then that God does not care whether we do good things? No, absolutely not. God wants us to do good things. He has, he has designed us to, to do good works and to follow Him. What this does, though, is it confirms that until we are righteous on the inside, we will never produce true righteousness on the outside. Until this is right inside, until our heart is where it needs to be, we will never produce the right things outwardly. The life that is blessed or approved by God is not determined by us doing the right kinds of things, but by us being the right kinds of people. Is that not what the Beatitudes taught us? Beatitudes wasn't a to-do list. Beatitudes was a symptom checker. Are you poor in spirit? Are you one that mourns over sin? Are you meek? Are you hungering for righteousness? Are you merciful? Are you pure in heart? Are you a peacemaker? Are you these things? Is it, is it part of your DNA? Is it part of who you are? Because if not... None of your outward works are ever going to amount to anything. You see, what we do flows from who we are. We don't become Christians from the outside in. We live a Christian life from the inside out. It's a simple truth. You see, Jesus' point was that the Pharisees, though outwardly impressive, were missing something on the inside. God doesn't want a righteous front. God could care less about what you proclaim to do or could care less about what you show others if what's going on on the inside is not right. God doesn't want a front. 
He wants a righteous heart. How does your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? It exceeds it by having the right stuff on the inside. Or the right one on the inside. Now how do we get one of those? How do we get a right heart? It's very easy, in a sense. See, we have to let go of all our own self-righteousness. All that stuff that we're basing our righteousness on, we've got to cast it to the side. And if you look with me in chapter 5, verse 6, here's the formula right here. Verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not our own, the one who craves and longs for the righteousness of God. And what happens when a person lays off his own self-righteousness and craves and desires that of God's? It says in the end of verse 6, they will be filled. And when they're filled with God's righteousness, the right stuff's going to start coming out. It's going to start flowing from their mouths, flowing from who they are, from their works and and all that they're involved in. Just another moment of your time. You see, Jesus' words in these verses put to shame the philosophies that permit unrighteousness in Christians because God is forgiving. But it also cuts out the teaching that our righteousness is based on what we do. God doesn't want us to act righteous. He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to be humble, to be faithful, to be surrendered to Him. So the question that we may ask is, how do we know where we are in all of these things? I think perhaps the greatest test on where we are, if we truly are these things, is how we act when no one else is around. What, what is our behavior like? What are, what kind of thoughts flow through our mind when there's nobody to be an audience to us? When there's no one to put on a show for? Are our minds and actions still in God? Think about that yourself today. When I'm not at church, when I'm not in front of church members, when I'm off by myself, when no one else is around, do I still love God? Is my mind still on Him? Do I still stay involved in the right kinds of things and the right kinds of thoughts? Well, the Sermon on the Mount is tough, isn't it? Because it pushes us every Step It pushes us to look beyond the outward stuff and to seek what's right on the inside. We're getting a call from the Lord right now, and He's asking us to, to take a step of faith towards Him this morning. All right? And if we evaluate our lives and it's not where it needs to be, He's calling us to move on that, to repent of any sin that's in our life that we haven't, to surrender ourselves to His will, to his ways. I'm going to ask us all to stand this morning.